on. <laughs> God is good. Thanks, team. Third week of Advent. We can tell our candles have burned down. Third week of Advent. What a good day to be in God's house. In Advent, we talk through the same subjects every year on the liturgical calendar. It's the same every year. Hope, faith, peace, joy, love. These are the subjects of Advent, and they never get old. How many of you know? Um, didn't you so enjoy last week when Bob and Betty and Casey and Amber shared about hope? Wasn't that so good? Because we can talk about hope. We can agree biblically and theologically with like, yes, we should hope in the Lord. But to actually people talk about, here's how I actually put my hope in the Lord. Here's how I actually walked it out. Because you can agree and still feel like you're in the bottom of a pit. Right? You can think I agree, but how do I even take the first step out of where I'm at? So it's so powerful. If, if you weren't here and you want to hear it on the podcast, you can go to iTunes or just go to our website and you can get the the podcast that way, but today we're moving on to faith. So we talked about hope, right? Past couple of weeks we talked about hope. Hope is the confident expectation of good. Hope is the confident expectation of good. Now, if I'm not a believer, if I don't believe there's a God, I don't really have a lot of reason to have a confident expectation of good. Because we live in a fallen world. And people are capable of doing incredibly evil things to each other. And just is fallen, right? Even in nature, I mean, just things happen. You can't control them. How many of you realize, like, you aren't actually in control of anything? Like, we can barely control ourselves, right? <laughs> so so if, if I don't believe in God, then there's not actually a whole lot of reason for hope. Right? If, you, if you've ever read the existentialists, right? So Kierkegaard was a believer. He was kind of the father of existentialism. And there was actually some hope in what he was talking about. He was saying we should really experience God. But if you read the existentialists that came after Kierkegaard, right? Camus and Sartre and these guys, I mean, those reads aren't fun. Right? The plague. These closed universe stories. Right? I mean, they're not, they're not good. Because there is no God. There's literally nothing to hope for. Right? So you might, where does that lead us? Right? We've been very influenced by existentialists. That leads us basically to hedonism. So experience what you can, while you can. Do what you can to feel alive while you can. YOLO, right? That's all you're really left with. How many of you get what I'm saying? Without God, that's all you're left with. Is to try to feed your flesh and feel what you can and... That's all you have. That's a super hopeless place to be. But if you believe that the God of the universe formed man out of clay and breathed his spirit into him, literally, right? We have breath in our lungs. We just sang about it this morning. We have breath in our lungs because God breathed breath into our lungs by his spirit. We are children of God made in his image, made for purposes, right, and significant so that what we do in this life ripples through eternity, like seeds we plant and things we do in this life actually can impact what happens in people's lives for eternity. Like, I don't know, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. And the fact that the God of the universe isn't some capricious God, but he's a good father who's actually ordered my steps 
Think about that. He's not just some God looking from afar and saying, hey, do as good as you can. It's for the righteous, he's actually ordered their steps. That every step I take, the decisions that I make in life have great influence, have great impact, are important. And my steps have been ordered by the one who sees all ends. I'm not trying to figure it all out. I'm submitting. You are Lord. I am not. That's the basis of salvation. Confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved, right? You are Lord. I am not. And you've ordered my steps, and I trust you. You're good. If you think about how many of you would say, I tend to be kind of a control freak. How many of you would just admit to that? Four of us, but probably more like 50 of us, right? So, <laughs> but where does that come from? Control ultimately comes from fear, right? I need to control my circumstance so I'm not surprised by anything. I'm not, right? Um, but being a control freak is not a happy place to be. Why? Because you don't really have much control, right? You can't see all ends. You don't know how this person's going to respond and that thing's going to happen and that job's going to shift. You don't know all those things. But the one who has ordered your steps does. He is not surprised by anything. He's not surprised even by my screw-ups and my sin. He wasn't surprised by any of it. And he hasn't regretted calling my name. Come on. That's who's ordered your steps. We have reason to hope in the house. We can have a confident expectation of good. When I begin to believe God is in this situation, I have reason to hope. He's in it. He will never leave me or forsake me. I have reason to hope. Right? So we want to move from hope to faith. Confident expectation of good. We want to move now to faith. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. There's really good faith um, text, but really you always have to come to this one first, right? Hebrews 1 through 3. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. So hope came first. We have to begin to believe that God is good and he's in it. That's where everything starts. But now once we have that hope, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. We could do like 20 sermons on that. <laughs> That's, there's so much there. That's so, so, so good. So faith, so hope is a confident expectation of good. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Hope is this internal confident expectation of good. Now faith begins to externally show the reality of what we hope for. Are you with me? So think about this. Hope says God can give me victory over the situation. Faith says, here is how I'm going to join him in the victory. Right? Faith is the sense that God's in it. I'm putting my hope in him. And now faith is me specifically joining with him in that. 
So I believe he's in it. And now here's what we're specifically believing for. Here's how I'm going to join him in that. Hope can remain passive. Faith can't. Hope is internal. So it can remain passive apart from faith. Faith can't remain passive. Faith is when I begin to act on the hope that he has stirred up in me. So the first place the enemy will attack you in is hope. If he can stop you at hope, you're gone. But if you get to a place of hope, where's the next place I want to stop you at? Just believe that God is good. Just nothing specific about this situation. Right? You can believe that God is a good father. You can believe he's good. You can believe he's righteous. You can believe he's loving. But if it can just stay in this kind of theological framework, just this knowledge of God, it doesn't do a lot for you. Right? God is love. But God loves me. And here's how he's showing me he loves me. When it becomes specific, whoo, that gets real. When it gets specific, other people can see it too. Right? Hope can say, hey, God's going to work it out somehow. When you get stopped at hope, that's what your internal language sounds like. Right? Hope got stirred up. And now it takes a real passive voice like, well, somehow God's just going to do it. Do my prayers even really matter? Because he's omniscient. He'll just do his will. Are you this passive? You believe all the right things about him, that he's good, that he's at work, but it never solidifies in how he's at work in you and how he's at work around you that you can join him in. Well, God will just work it out. No, God wants to partner with you. God wants to partner with you. There are plenty of people who never, ever, ever accomplished what God had set out for them. They never walked up the steps that God ordered for them. Was God willing that they would? Uh-huh. Was God willing to empower them to do it? Uh-huh. But they sat there and said, hmm, somehow, whatever, whatever you want, God, cool. Right? Jesus didn't say things like, I will heal the sick. He said, you will heal the sick, raise the dead, deliver the oppressed. You lay hands on the sick and pray for healing. Well, God heals. Yeah, here's how he does it. You lay hands on the sick and you begin to believe it's going to happen. Right? There is a, there's an action to the belief. It isn't just an internal sense of what God could do. It's what, here's what God is going to do. Here's what it would look like for the kingdom to be manifest in this situation. I have a buddy who, specifically talking about healing, he just moves in a lot of healing. His name is Jim Baker, which is unfortunate. Because um, he's not that Jim Baker. He's <laughs> different Jim Baker. But I love, he just prods people out of this passiveness. And faith can be about anything. But specifically, just as an example, healing. Um, people will say things to him like, well, I just think God has just let me have the sickness so I can learn how to be more like Jesus. To which Jim says, how is sickness supposed to make you more like Jesus? Jesus wasn't sick. 
well, God just gave me cancer so I can learn something. So when Jesus healed cancer, he was undoing the work of the Father? I mean, come on. Let's just acknowledge you've got to have some cognitive dissonance to live like that. Like, either Jesus and the Father were working together or he was working against the Father who was making everyone sick. Are you with me? They were working together. Jesus came to undo the works of the enemy. Not his father. One more thing from Jim. People will say things like, but sickness builds character, to which he says, if you ignore Jesus' command to heal the sick, how is your disobedience building character? Now, we've prayed for people and they've gotten healed. We've prayed for people they haven't gotten healed. I've prayed for people who've gotten healed while I am sick <laughs> and not healed. We're not, I'm, we have zero theology of why not. We're not even going to go there. Like, we're just going to keep doing what he said to do. The Bible doesn't create a theology of why not, so we're not going to teach theology of why not, blaming people and maybe it's true. You know what? We're just going to keep doing what he said to do. And we're going to realize there are some things that we do we don't always get to see with our eyes. You know? Think about this. If you're new to the faith, there's a story in the Old Testament about the people of Israel who were slaves in Egypt. And Moses, who you probably have heard of, God raised him up to deliver the people of Israel from slavery. Well, here's how it happened. They were in slavery for 400 years. And it says at the beginning of Exodus that people remembered God. They were slaves in, in, in Egypt, and the Israelites remembered their God. And some of them began to cry out to God. And at that point, Moses was born when they began to cry out to God. Moses was born. Moses doesn't bring deliverance until he's 80. At 40, he kills the Egyptian, goes out to the desert for 40 years, comes back, he's 80 years old. And that's when they're delivered from Egypt. So the people who cried out to God for deliverance that he responded to because he partners with us as we cry out to him, they cried out for a deliverer God said, yes, Moses was born. 80 years later, it happened. People don't live long in slavery. <laughs> the people that cried out to him didn't get to see what they cried out for, but God answered the minute they cried out. But it took 80 years. There are some things we just need to go for because God says it, and we get breakthrough for the next generation. Or we get breakthrough 10 years from now. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have to take the long view, is what I'm saying. We're going to believe you for everything you've said. We're going to go for all of it. And I will be undaunted by what I don't see yet. I will stay focused on what I see you doing and let that build my faith to believe for all of it. Because some of the things I'm laying hold of by faith is going to happen for my children. So I'm not letting go. How are you doing? Okay. Part of what we need to do as we lay hold of things by faith is we need to align what we're believing for specifically with God's word and what he says about the situation. Sometimes we struggle in faith because we're laying hold of dreams that we have made, ideas we have about how God has to do things, and so we're constantly disappointed. 
right? So rather than saying, God, you are Lord, you know all things, how can I partner with you? We say, God, so glad you're in my life so you can accomplish the things I tell you to do. <laughs> These are two different things. These are two different things. And think about this. He's God. His ways are higher than ours. So the plan that I brought to him probably isn't his plan for the situation. <laughs> he probably has a better plan. Or he sees what things aren't going to work because people will oppose him no matter what. And so he has seen how he can work all things together for good even though some things aren't going to move in the situation. Are you with me? So when I say, here's how it has to happen, now I'm disappointed with every single thing that doesn't move, doesn't happen. He's not at work. He is at work. He's at work making all things good in the end. And I am stubbornly saying, no, no, it must look like this. And chances are the things I'm dreaming and hoping for look like things I have seen, right? I know what I know. But he says that in him, there are things that are too great for us to even understand, plans he has for us, too wonderful for us to even understand. So sometimes we've got to stop and say, God, have I brought you a dream that didn't come from you? Have I brought you a goal that didn't come from you? Like when it lines up with the word, we're golden, right? Lay hands on the sick, pray for healing. We know how to do that, right? Because it says to do that. It doesn't say, ask him if it's his will. It just says to do that. But there are other things where it's like, God, I need to know where you're at in this situation because I want to partner with you. James chapter one says, if you want to know God's will, ask him, he will tell you. But don't be like a wave, like don't be like a reed that can be tossed back and forth. Like he's not a multiple choice is what I'm saying. So if you come and you're like, well, let's see what God's plan is, but I are, you know, right? You may hear nothing. When you go and you're like, God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm doing it. God, your way is the way. I just want to know how to follow you in this. He speaks wisdom to us. And sometimes as we begin to walk it out, we understand better what he's saying. But we're looking for his will in a situation, right? And that's what we're partnering with in faith and holding on to. Let me give you this example. Um, something I read recently, which is, it was really um, shocking um, and terrible, but super interesting. <laughs> um, so um, it's really terrible how we know this, but um, we have found out because the, because Germans, the German government has released this information that um, they continue to do studies on Holocaust survivors who stayed in Germany after the Holocaust without them knowing. That's creepy. That's terrible, <laughs> right? And some of the things they did were invasive and they did it in collusion with their local doctors and but they continued to test these people who survived the Holocaust even after the Holocaust without their permission, without their knowledge. Um, but the things they found were so remarkable, they're like, hey, we probably shouldn't have done this, but we're gonna let y'all know about it um, because the findings are remarkable. So it's terrible how we know this, those Germans, and I can say that because I'm German, those Germans. But 
one of the things they found, which is really interesting, and they're just the front end of figuring out what this means, but they found that significant trauma actually changes you on a genetic level, right? There's chemical markers are left, and I'm not a scientist, so I couldn't explain it all to you, but it actually changes us on a genetic level. What all that means, they're still figuring out. But it means that if I have, one thing it means is if I have significant trauma that changes me to genetic level DNA, right? When I have children, they have that altered DNA. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah. I just find that really interesting. So I, it made me think about this. When, um, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And it, you know, there's so much in scripture that I think science just bears out. Like, because we think about 1 John 1, 9, we think, oh, he forgives us. But it says he forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And I kind of feel like, God, at a genetic level, are you delivering generations from, like, messed up DNA? You know, like, on a, you know what I'm saying? Like, you wonder at what level is that talking about? And I can believe it's talking about all of it. That generationally now things are changed because I submitted my life, my mind, my soul, my body, my DNA, to, like you are Lord of all of it. And he comes and he forgives me my sin and cleanses me from all the effects of the unrighteousness. Like all the effects of sin, the unrighteousness. Like he can actually, at like a cellular level, bring healing. Like how cool is that? So I say this, that sometimes knowing how to partner with him, like you may be praying for one person in your family and they're not budging because they have free will and God's not going to control them. And you're frustrated because you're like, this one person won't move, won't move, won't move. But as a result of your prayers, God is working down the generational line. Do you know what I'm saying? Like maybe this person won't move. But you keep praying for deliverance in that area. You keep praying and watch what he'll do with the next generation and how he heals them and breaks off the junk that that one immovable person, right, won't let go of. Do you see what I'm saying? And we get so stuck on the one thing that's not moving when really he might be working out all these things together for good. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah? Okay, three of you are with me. How are we doing? We're good. Greg's with me. Okay. We got it. Do you see what I'm saying? We get stuck on the one immovable thing when really he's working out a much bigger picture than we even envisioned. It was much bigger than we even knew to pray. Yeah? Okay. And here's the good thing too. It makes me think as a parent like, oh good, my kids won't be stuck with any trauma that we have inflicted on them. They can go to Jesus and he will... It'll take care of it. Okay. Next line. We're one line in. How are we doing? We're one line in. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Next line. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is external. Hope is internal. Right? And the pain of hope is an internal pain. It's painful to hope because the thing hasn't happened yet. That's why we choose not to hope. I'd rather just live with how it's broken because I know that. But to actually hope it could be different is painful on some level, right? 
And the pain of hope is internal. Faith is external. And the challenge comes externally with, with faith. I have to get over the internal challenge to hope of getting past the pain of saying, God, I'm going to believe for something different. It'd be easy just to stay status quo because I know that. But I'm going to actually live in some pain to hope for something that's different, right? Faith, the challenge and the pain is external. People are going to see what you hope for. People are going to hear about what you hope for and you put your faith in God for. People are going to make judgments about you when your hope turns to faith. Faith is the evidence of those things you're hoping for. People start to see it. You start to speak it. And now the cost is external. I just think they're going through a midlife crisis. What do you think? Have you noticed they've gotten kind of weird? Like, I don't mind that they're going to church, but they're just so, like, so spiritual all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's called following Jesus with a cross on your back. Like, like, have you read Jesus? It should be shocking that somebody could say they are a Christ follower and there isn't all kind of radical evidence. <laughs> I mean, that's what should be shocking. How could you follow someone who said, I brought a whole different kingdom, and you can be translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, an upside-down kingdom, and yet there's no real uncomfortable evidence of it? That's what should be shocking. Don't you think? Hmm. So faith becomes this external thing that now people can see it. It's the evidence of it, and it's crucial because whatever I'm believing for in faith isn't first and foremost about the thing I need. Right? Let's say it's healing in my body. Me getting healed isn't first and foremost about me getting healed. <laughs> me getting healed is first and foremost about him receiving glory. Right? Because when I get healed, people can see there is a God. It reflects glory back to him. And that's the most important thing about healing. Because my body will eventually die, but that testimony won't. Right? That proof that he is good and his kingdom is real. Right? That remains. Secondarily, I get healed, which is really cool. Right? If my faith was never external, there's no glory, right? Why do we keep our faith under wraps? This is the deception of the enemy. Well, if it doesn't happen, I don't want people to doubt God. So I don't want to say it too loud. I don't want to believe too vocally. I don't want my faith to be too external because I'm protecting God, right? I'm protecting his good name. Don't, isn't that what we tell ourselves? He's a big boy. He's a big boy. He can defend his own name. We just need to do what he says to do. We need to believe what he says to believe. And you let him defend his name on the end. I never stop 
from praying for someone for healing because I'm worried about what will happen next. I can't heal people. So either he does it or he explains it because uh, it's on him. It's on him. And I have never prayed for someone who didn't get healed, like say a random person maybe that I just felt impressed. I've never prayed for someone for healing that God didn't show up. And they weren't like, wow, I've never felt that before. I mean, he's always shown up, even when they didn't get healed. So I just let him worry about his name. I worry about obedience. I don't worry about things that are above my pay grade. I just worry about obedience. What is he saying? What does his word say? Then that's what I'm doing. And I won't micromanage him. Faith is external. Our faith needs to be external. Jesus didn't take people and say, hey, let's go around the corner. I think my father's at work here in you. Let's go around the corner and see what he does. But let's not do it too public because, you know, then maybe people would think badly of me and, and I just can't take it. Maybe they won't like my father and that'd be a bummer. There are no scriptures that look like that. None. Jesus is not worried about his reputation. Clearly, when you read him, he is not worried about his reputation. In fact, sometimes he's healing people in ways that he knows are going to cause problems for him. He knows it. Okay, keep, honor the Sabbath, they keep it holy, right? Ten commandment. What the Jewish people had done at that time was create so many laws around Sabbath to make sure they kept it holy. The Sabbath day was really oppressive. It wasn't restful. It was scary because you could break one of thousands of laws very easily, right? They had laws about how many nails you could have in your sandal on the Sabbath day. You could have like four, but you can't have five because that's carrying too much weight with your foot. For real. One of the laws was you can spit on a rock on the Sabbath day because the sun's heat will evaporate it, but you can't spit in the ground because that's creating mud and that's work. You worked on the Sabbath. You're defiled. Seriously. So when Jesus does stuff like spits in the ground on the Sabbath day and makes mud and puts it on the guy's eyes and he doesn't immediately get healed, he does not walk through the streets with mud on your eyes and go wash so everyone can see that somebody made mud. Like he knows, right? He knows. You just, when you read Jesus, you're like, this guy is not concerned about his reputation. He's concerned about doing the will of the Father and giving him glory. That's his whole concern. That's his whole concern. And so very publicly, Jesus displays his faith. Very publicly, he talks about things that are going to happen after he ascends to the Father. Right? They're not going to happen while he's here on earth. He's not going to see them fulfilled. They're just going to have to believe him. I'm thinking like Matthew 24, right? So faith is external, and it's meant to be external. It's meant to be public. It's meant to be vocal. God will put you in positions like Noah where people will laugh at you for your faith, right? Go build a really big boat, Noah. 
and it's gonna take decades and decades and decades and decades. And all of your neighbors will mock you and laugh at you because they've never seen rain. <laughs> Come on. If Noah's living for being vindicated, that's gonna last for about 10 minutes before everyone drowns. No fun in that, right? He knew what God had said, and God told him to execute it in a very public way. And he did. How It got quiet, so if you're scared. The point I'm making is, this idea of our faith being a very private thing isn't biblical. It just isn't biblical. It's cultural and it's wrong. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, there are things that God is going to ask you to step out in faith and they're going to be external and going to be seen and you're going to have to decide whose applause you're living for. And it'll be painful. We don't believe because we understand. We understand because we believe. <laughs> Faith comes before understanding. Right? Otherwise, we live in a kind of practical atheism where we act the same way as an atheist does even though internally we believe in God. And that's just unacceptable. Right? Just prodding you a bit today. How are you doing? Good? Some of you are looking at me <laughs> terrified. Okay, so we'll move on. We'll do the next two really quickly. Through their faith, the people of old gained a good reputation. Read the rest of the chapter. He's not talking about a good reputation like, hey, that's a nice guy. What's the reputations they gained? Three men killed a whole army. I mean, they did amazing things. They did amazing things that changed the trajectory of nations and the world. How did it happen? Through faith. Through faith they did these things. Through faith, Abraham believed God and had a son with his wife, who was unable to have a child. Did he screw up on the way to accomplishing what God said? Mm-hmm. Did God still fulfill what he said he would do through him? Mm-hmm. Listen, you are forgivable. You can be forgiven, and you can forgive. <laughs> Look at all those people of faith. So many of them, you could say, on the way to accomplishing the things that God said they should do, some of them had big screw-ups. And God's promise was still true to them. <laughs> you are forgivable. <laughs> Through faith, people of old gained a good reputation. People in the Old Testament didn't, weren't counted righteous because they kept the law, because nobody did. Nobody did it perfectly. Read through the 11th chapter of Hebrews. Why was Abraham counted righteous? because of his faith. It's always been by faith we're saved, always. Always by faith we've been saved. Old or New Testament, it's always been by faith. And God says in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith it's impossible to please God. Without that hope he stirs up within you that becomes this external belief that we live out in front of the world, it's impossible to please God. Next line. 
And we won't belabor this because we've taught on this before, but just I want everyone to be on the same page because not all of you have been here because you've taught on it. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. That's the basis for all of it. Think about what that's saying. Everything that can be seen came from what cannot be seen. Everything in this physical world came from the God's command, right? He spoke the world. Everything that is in this physical world came from the spiritual world. The spiritual world is more substantial than the physical world. If you've ever prayed for someone and cancer left their body, why did that happen? Because in that moment, the spiritual took precedence over the physical. In that moment, the spiritual took precedence over the physical. The spiritual world is more substantial than the physical world. This is the basis of our faith. That what God says is true, the spiritual laws he has laid down are more powerful than the physical laws of nature. The physical came from the spiritual. And this is why we see that God at times bends physical laws. At times he bends the things that are true in our physical world because the spiritual law came and took precedence over it. And as people live by faith, we begin to see things bend a lot. As God's people rise up in faith, what happens? It becomes very obvious that there is a world that is much more powerful than this physical world. We put our faith in our bank accounts. We put our faith in the things we can touch in people. Or we put our faith in this physical world. God is saying, listen, all of this came from the spiritual. When you read like First Colossians, beautiful chapter, right? How Christ is preeminent over all things. And it begins to outline the things he's preeminent over. It talks about the physical world, but it says principalities and powers and unseen things. And right through his sacrifice, his death and resurrection, he has taken authority over all of it. So when I put my faith in him, when my hope is stirred up by him and I join him in faith, I don't just believe you could, I believe you are doing it and here's how you're doing it and I'm joining you in faith in it. What happens? Now all the power of the seen and unseen comes together and nothing is more powerful than his blood. It has reconciled both worlds. Come on, that's just good. What problems are you facing? Because I guarantee you the spiritual element of the problem is a far bigger deal than the physical element of the problem. I guarantee you. Look at our country right now. People aren't happy with each other. People can hardly even get along when they talk about real things. I mean, you think about politics. Politics encompasses a great, a great amount of things. Politics about how we're going to live together in agreement. What are laws we can agree on? What are the things we can agree on so that we can live comfortably together and without killing each other? People no longer have a whole lot of agreement. That's bad for a society. But I guarantee you, 
guarantee you, the vast majority of what this is, is spiritual and not physical. The vast majority of what's creating this is from the spiritual realm. What's happening in people's hearts and minds, spirit. Strongholds, which the Bible says are arguments that have risen against God and against his righteousness. These are spiritual strongholds that develop as we get into agreement with things that aren't of him. That's a spiritual thing. That's got to get torn down spiritually. That's why we fight our battles in worship. We fight our battles in prayer. The Bible says the heart of the king is like water in the hand of God. He can move it this way. He can move it that way. You got a problem with your boss? You begin to fight the spiritual battle because for your boss... Even if he's a pagan, God can make his heart like water in his hand, moving it, him or her this way or that way. How many of you have found that to be true? People who had their back up against you and you began to, what does the Bible say? Pray for those who despitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. So you're not gossiping about the boss you're not behind his back. You're not, you're not trying to get people to agree with you. You decide you're going to God in prayer and all of a sudden what begins to happen you see things begin to shift. What shifted? The spiritual realm shifted. Your boss doesn't even know why he likes you so much right now. Why he wants to give you so much favor. But the favor comes from the Lord. He shifted the situation. He shifted the heart. There are hearts that seem immovable. If there's any chance of them moving, how's it going to happen? Spiritual strongholds start to get torn down. That happens through prayer. That happens through worship right? We begin to apply our faith to that situation. God, you are able. When nothing else, no one else is able, you are able. How are you doing? We owe people an encounter with the supernatural. Freely we have been given. Freely we need to give. We owe people an encounter with the supernatural. We are not allowed to live with a little private faith. That's just hope that's been stirred up that needed to go to the second step and never did. And that hope will be disappointed. And you don't want to live with disappointed hope. That's a terrible thing to live with. Okay, quickly. A couple things I want to encourage you to do. You need to have three levels that you're working at. If you're going to work at moving from hope to faith, there's three levels I want you to work at. Think of them as muscles. Work all three muscles. Work all three muscles of faith. Here's the first one. The nudge. You need to be praying and believing God for things in your life that are probably already headed in the right direction. It's a situation that's almost there. It needs a nudge. That's one muscle. You should have things in your prayer life Things you're bringing to God as you worship that need a nudge. That's one muscle, right? You also need to have things in your prayer life that need a push. Stuff that needs pushes to get across the line. It's like 50-50, I don't know. I mean, it could go this way or that way. How many of you have those where you're like, hmm, this is dicey. Mm. 
you need to have things in your prayer life that you are pushing. They need pushes. When people put stuff on the snake line or ask you to pray for stuff, what they're saying is, man, I ran into a push or a number three, and I need people to push with me. Push. The Bible often uses um, the imagery of a woman in labor to talk about things that God is doing. And if you've ever been in labor, right? Initially, it's like uncomfortable. Those first pushes, you're like, okay, right? Whatever. <laughs> um, when I went into labor with Luke, who's now 15, um, my in-laws came, which is a little bit strange, like in the room. It was a little strange, but I was cool. I was like, I want to be a cool daughter-in-law. Like, I want to be cool about stuff, but I feel awkward because I'm in labor and I don't know you guys really well. You know what I'm saying? Like, it felt a little strange. And you're not at your best. It felt a little strange. So there's Mitch and there's his parents, and um, as the contractions got stronger, um, they hurt a lot more. <laughs> um, and with Luke, I was in labor for 28 hours. It was bad. After water, oh, anyway, you don't know all that. Anyway, um, so as more people filled the room, contractions would come, and they'd be talking and laughing, and I held it together for like a little bit. But there was one contraction <laughs> that was particularly bad, and everyone's like kind of laughing, and they're having a good time, and I was like, you guys need to leave. <laughs> Get out of my room. Like, I felt like, are you here to support me? Because this isn't support. I'm in pain. You're having a good time. Yeah. I feel like you're about to order a pizza. Like, what's going on? I'm doing serious work here. Either get on board or get out. I did say, could you guys just leave? But inside, I was like about to come unglued. Hold it together, hold it together. <laughs> but how many of you know, in faith, it's like that sometimes. You get to that point where it's like, oh, it's time to push. And you're like, I want people to support me in pushing. I want people who get it, who aren't ordering pizza and laughing like they get it. They know how to push. <laughs> we all need stuff in our prayer life that we are pushing and this is also a time where you learn who can push with you where two or three are gathered in my name right one can put a thousand a flight but two can put ten thousand a flight right you you learn how to push and the last area the impossible you have to have things you're believing for that aren't even 50 50 it's not just a push god if you don't show up it is not happening. It looks impossible right now. I don't see any possibility. The only evidence it could be different right now is my faith. My faith is literally the only evidence this thing could happen. So come on, Jesus, <laughs> right? You need all three. Work all the muscles. Every day, put things before the Lord. One thing that does is it helps us to position ourselves. He is God. I am not. I recognize my need constantly for him when I'm bringing him things, my nudges, the pushes, the impossible. It makes me reach out and say, I need people who can believe with me. 
because I'm not believing for small, safe things. I'm believing for impossible things. I'm believing for God to move because I've chosen to hope. When I'm believing for small things, it shows me how big my hope is, right? I've decided not to have much hope. It was too painful, and that's why the things I'm believing for are this big. As you put all of your hope in the Lord, the things you believe for get a lot bigger. We need all of them. So if you're saying, hey, how do I step from hope into faith? This is one good way. Begin to incorporate into your daily time you, it could be in your car, it could be in the shower, but create a rhythm of crying out to him and saying, God, I am partnering with you. I am expecting, I am believing, I am excited to see what you do next. For your glory, for your glory, Lord. Amen. Would you stand? Worship team, come on up. So, now we get to practice a bit, yeah? Because we're going to worship together as we end the service, which means in worship, we can begin to work on some strongholds. This is how we fight our battles. You can begin to cry out to God. There's also people, prayer team, if you come on up. There's folks who will be here at the front, here on either side. Also, Ken's back there. People will be back in that little alcove. So if you need prayer, get prayer. I'm telling you, when you step out of your seat and get prayer, haven't you found, it like activates your faith because it's like, I don't know, a little humbling to be like, I don't know, when you step out, it repositions your heart in a different way. So I love stepping out when I need to. Come and receive prayer. <clears throat> but listen, every believer in the house has God's kingdom without measure already. So if you're gonna pray with a believer near you, then do that. Well, I don't know if they're prayed up. I don't know if they're ready. You're not putting your faith in them. You're putting it in God. He's just going to work through them. <laughs> Come on. Let's take some time. What's on your plate? What's in front of you? What are things that you've just settled for that God's stirring you up to believe differently about? Let's take some time. Put that before the Lord. He's good. He's good. He's good. And his mercies endure forever. He's in it with you. Amen. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, when sorrow comes to steal the joy I own, when brokenness and pain is all I know, no, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken come on let's sing my fear my fear doesn't stand a chance when i stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when i stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when i Shame no longer has a place to hide. Amen. And I am not a captive to the lies. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. No, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. Come on, let's declare this. My fear. 
doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Oh, there's power, there's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. Power in your name. Come on, sing that again. There's power that can break off every chain. So, so 
the fire in my darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after it's running after me Your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after It's running after me With my life laid down I surrender now I give you everything Your goodness is running after It's running after me Thank you. 
Father, thank you, Father. There's still time to get prayer. 
And once you pray together, don't feel like you missed it. People are still praying for each other and you're welcome to get prayer. We're gonna pray together before we do. Maybe you just, if you know this old hymn, I don't think you do, Alyssa. I think it, yeah, we'll sing it all together. Yeah. <clears throat> think about living our faith out loud, externally. If the point was just getting to heaven, the minute you got saved, God would have taken you there. But he left us here to take as many with us as we can, to reveal the glory of God, because every single person he has made was made in his image, and he longs to have them home. And so as we think about what it will look like to live this faith externally, would you just sing this old hymn with me, if you know it? Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Aren't you glad he's a friend of sinners? Aren't you glad he was your friend? Before I was your Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory <laughs> forever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hug somebody. Meet someone you don't know. Love you guys.